Today, actually, I'm going to sort of do a part two of what I started talking about last week. So I'm going to finish what I started last week, okay? Open your Bibles with me. Let's go and look at that passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47. And knowing me, you know, I should have known that there was no possible way that I was going to preach these verses in one sermon. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. So it was just like drinking out of a fire hydrant kind of an experience, you know? I just basically blasted you guys with a lot of scripture and a lot of things to chew on and uh, really didn't apply things. So what I want to do today is actually just uh, take one of the elements that we should have talked about last week, (laughs) okay, and uh, spend some time on it before we move on to Acts chapter 3, verses 40 on. Here we go. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here it is. These are the characteristic attributes of the early church, and they're just, it's so dense. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A couple introductory remarks about the book of Acts as we're going through it. Book of Acts is about a group of people that essentially started a movement. Not an organized religion, not an institution, but a movement of people. There's a group of people who actually believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and that was a big word in the Jewish context, who died and rose again, and his rising again from the dead had all kinds of ramifications for not only for themselves, but for the world. And they went around spreading the good news because Jesus was the Messiah that would have an impact and influence not only to them, but to the world. They understood something that we in America in the 21st century of our time understanding, and that is the church was them. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is not uh, something that they went to. The church was them. It was people of God. People of God who were charged with this message as witnesses that Jesus Christ is king, that he's coming back to restore and renew all creation, that was good news for everybody. They understood the church was them. And the theme verse in Acts is Acts 1.8, where it says, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So these group of people went out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth talking about Jesus. And what we have in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of this central, very important critical truth. And that is that their sentness as witnesses didn't happen individually. But their sentness happened together in community. Their sentness happened together as a group of people. And that's incredibly important for us because as we've been talking about, for us to be witnesses and to do the sentness thing right, we have to understand that we do it in community. In community. Uh, does this resonate with anybody? I mean, it's hard 
It's not impossible. It's almost, almost impossible to do this sentence thing alone. And there's a number of ramifications for why that is the case, which we'll get into today. This short section that we read, by the way, you know, the hard thing about preaching verses 40 to 47 is it preaches itself. I mean, crying out loud. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you read it and you go, well, what else really needs to be said? It says it right there, right? But there are some ramifications for us that I want us to delve into, okay? Now, look at, look at this. Look at this. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last week is that these qualities and attributes of this church, this group of people, it's not things that you aspire to. Like, we got to do those things. We got to attain those things. They are the result of a group of people who are filled and empowered by the Spirit. The characteristic attributes that you see here is a result of a group of people who are being filled by the Spirit of God and as a result, almost inevitably, living it out as a result. It's, 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 it's kind of backwards for us to go, well, that's what a church ought to be, so let's strive. No, no, no. It's a group of people who are connected to God, connected to the power of the Spirit, and as a result, being empowered by the Spirit of God and living this out. Does that make sense? Okay. Living it out. It's not things that we aspire to. So what are the results of a group of people who are being spirit-filled? They're, they're, uh, first, it's a church that's, that's learning. There's theological depth. Talked about that last week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's a church, a group of people that's experiencing awe-inspiring worship. Awe-inspiring worship. It says that they committed themselves to the breaking of bread. I don't have a lot of time, but just quickly. The breaking of bread wasn't just communion or Lord's Supper as we celebrated, but it was this official thing that they got together when they got together in worship settings. The breaking. In other words, they were in sort of informal homes, but also formal in the temple courts, worship together. And in that context, verse 43 tells us that there was awe-fillness going on. They also devoted themselves to prayer. We see that. It was a church of relentless evangelism. I mean, can you imagine every single day somebody came to know Jesus? Every day the Lord added to their number daily. Uh, they were deeply committed to ministries of justice and compassion. They gave to anyone as he had need. It was a church deeply committed to both corporate worship as well as small group worship in homes. They met in temple courts and in their homes. Okay. So I tried to get all that last week, right? <laughs> Y'all are like, ah. But there's one thing, one characteristic attribute that I want to talk about today. And it's that they were a group of intimate fellowship. The word is koinonia. Koinonia, from which we get the word fellowship. Let me ask you all something. What comes to mind when you think of fellowship? Good church folk, those of you who grew up in church, what comes to mind when you think of Fellowship. What? Potlucks. Yes. What else? Fellowship hall. Yes. Dreaded fellowship hall. What else? Food. See, this is the problem with being in America. You know, there's this, there's this constant theme. You notice food, 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 more food, food. What else? Fellowship. I, I don't know about you. When I think of, when I think of the church, a word fellowship, I think of superficial, kind of forced, kind of awkward, in a group, you know, in, in a place that's designated for it, usually over coffee, donuts, and if you're really extravagant, you know, potluck. The, the, the incredible thing is that when the church experienced fellowship in the early days, it was so much more. It was so much more. 
It was a community of people that experienced life, and I say this strongly, as God intended. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. You guys, here's a kind of an application truth that you and I need to wrestle with. That is this. You, you ready? Now think about this. This means that an experience of the Spirit of God, experience of the Spirit of God will result in a group of people living in intimate communion with each other. Check this out. And this is huge for me. That means an experience of God, an experience of the Holy Spirit doesn't just send you deeper into the heart of God, doesn't just send you further out into mission into the world, but it sends you deeper into the lives of other people. A telltale sign that a group of people is spirit-filled is that it's not just sending you deeper into the heart of God. It's sending you deeper into the lives of one another. It's inevitable. It's natural. Um, It's a sign that you're spiritually alive. You don't have to tell a baby to cry. Come on, cry. A baby will cry if it's alive. You don't have to tell a group of people that are spirit-filled. Get together. Come on, y'all. Get together. Spend more time together. Will you love each other? Will you be generous? Will you kind of do this fellowship thing? You will do it as a result of experiencing God. Is it happening here? Is it happening in your life? Is it happening in your small groups? Powerful, verse 46, or 44, X2, it says they were together. Somebody emailed me and said, I didn't get that last week, so here's clarification. Not only did they, verse 46, they met together. The Bible says, verse 44, they were together. Why is that important? Because their being together wasn't just something that they did. It was something that they were. And we use this, you know, when two people are dating and they're all into each other, we don't say, so are they just say, they dating? Are they meeting in that place, having dinner? Are they, no, we go, are they together? Yeah, they're together. What are we saying? There is a togetherness about them that explains sort of their being together. And this group of people in the early church, they didn't just meet together. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Tuesday nights, they just, you know, meet in that small group. Oh, yeah. On Wednesday, you know, during lunch, they have lunch together. Oh, yeah. On Saturday, they were so meeting together. They were so in each other. They were so loving each other. They were so serving each other. They were so together that the only way the Bible could describe them is they, you know, they were together. Is it happening to you? Is it happening to me? Is it happening to us? Okay, oh man, there's just so much that I want to say. Because you could imagine, we could spend a month on this, right? We could spend literally a month on this because here's the deal, you guys. Our church, this is hard for us and we struggle with this. There's a number of reasons why. I mean, look around you, look around you. There's ethnic diversity, there's racial diversity, there's socioeconomic diversity, there's age diversity, There's fashion sense diversity. (laughs) That's clear, right? There's education level diversity. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the reality is, in in a group like this, in a group like this, a test and a measure of whether our church is spirit filled so that there is a sense of togetherness. This is a challenge. 
what I want to talk about today, uh, oh, jeez, man, there's just so much that, oh. By the way, <laughs> Michael, man, I pay you to say that. You're my pastor, my associate pastor. Listen to this email, and I wonder if anybody could resonate with this. She says, I just wanted to share how God has been teaching me the essential purpose of the church, that the church is not, church is us, people, not a place. My father has been in and out of the ER for the past few weeks. And as a person who hates being vulnerable, I came to a breaking point and shared with my community group and some other friends. And man, talk about how God puts you in your place. I experienced Galatians 2, which says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I experienced that in such a tangible way, which empowered and enabled me to be Christ to my students, she's a teacher, and to my coworkers, because I wasn't carrying the burden of my family's struggles by myself. And it's one of the most awesome things when a coworker asks me how it is possible that I'm dealing with all the commotion of work and my dad being sick in such a seemingly positive, joyful, passionate spirit and being able to answer, why? Because of my church family. Really, I've been once again humble because God shook me once more and said straight up, that's why you need real authentic community where you're actually receiving, which I know sounds backwards, but I struggled with receiving and resorted only to give. Does anybody know what she's talking about? And God said, you can't avoid it forever. And I'm not anymore. Where does this need and longing for community come from? Do you know what the Bible actually says? The Bible says that this need, this longing for community, for friendship, for connection is actually innate and inherent to who we are. It goes back, way back, to the way God created us. Uh, open your Bibles. We're going to do a little Genesis study this morning, okay? We're going to do a little Genesis study this morning. And if you find really book, good books on community out there, it'll always start with this theological basis right here where you go all the way back to the beginning of time and you find that this longing, the desire we have for community, for fellowship is as old as time. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, actually. Verse 1. And this theological principle, some of you guys, there's a guy named Miroslav Volf who wrote an incredible book. You ought to pick it up and read it. It talks about the essence of community arising out of what we're going to see right here. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3. And God spoke. God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 3, by the way. Verse 3. The Apostle John picks up on that in his prologue to his book, the book of John. Okay, verse 3. Of God Speaking, the word of God coming forth to create. And this is what he says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's talking about who? Jesus. He, that is Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So guys, check this out. In the very beginning of time, you have God the Father involved in creation. You have God the Spirit involved in creation. You have God the Son, Jesus, speaking forth in creation. 
Here's a powerful reality about God. I know it's going to take a lifetime to wrap our brains around. In the very beginning of time, we see an essential attribute of who God is, and that is that God exists in three persons in community. God exists in three persons in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Christian faith, unlike Judaism, which believes in one God, period, or Islam, which believes in one God, period, the Christian faith comes along and says, we believe in one God, colon, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, who, got, who like totally gets that? Can you raise your hands? Who totally like gets that? Okay, there's like one of us. Okay, I understand that for most of us, like, whoa. But the Bible absolutely affirms this truth that God exists, one God in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who from the very beginning of time we see involved in creation. And this doctrine over time will become defined or redefined. And Jesus himself actually affirmed this in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, say with me, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now guys, why is this important? Our triune God, one God, exists in Say it with me, community. Do you know what that means? That means community is intrinsic and inherent to the very nature of God. God himself, from eternity of time, existed in community in such a way that God, from the very beginning of time, by nature, existed appreciating, loving, friendship, relationship, love, Community. Community and friendship. Community and friendship and relationship is intrinsic to the very nature of God, which means that community and friendship is ultimate reality, which means that community and friendship is good in and of itself. Is anybody feeling this? Anybody resonating with this? Anybody going, oh, oh, okay, so from very beginning of time, like this is supposed to be? Yeah. Now, check this out. It goes on. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Over and over again, the Bible affirms uh, that we are made in the image of God. And here's the thing. Among a number of things that that could mean about us being created in the image of God, one of the essential things that it means is this. You and I being created in the image of God means that we were created intrinsically, inherently, to be in community. To be created in the image of God. To be created in the likeness of God means that just as God eternally existed and exists in community, we too have been created for community. We've been created for community. It's inherent to who God is and it's inherent to who we are as people made in the image of God. 
You and I were created to live in real, authentic, vulnerable relationships in community. Now, here's the thing. You go, why are you spending so much time on this? Because how many of you guys resonate with this just inherently? Like, yeah, yeah. Raise your hand. I'm serious. I'm asking. Raise your hands. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Why is it, why is it that this is something that is intrinsic to who we are, and yet it's so hard for us? It's so foreign to some of us. It's so unnatural. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Look at Genesis 2.18. Look at this theological weirdness that we find. Theological weirdness. By the way, if you're taking notes, theological weirdness in Genesis 2. The Lord God said, it is not good. Say not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In the garden, in the garden of Eden, to which we sort of romanticize and go, ah, things were so good. If we could just go back to, you know, the way it used to be. In the Garden of Eden, in perfection, God says there is something that he actually says it is not good. And what is that? Adam is, say it with me, Adam is alone. God says it is not good to be alone. How many of y'all are feeling this morning alone? God says it is not good to be alone. Let me put it in the strongest possible terms. All the ache that we experience, ache of shame, ache of guilt, ache of suffering, ache of pain, ache of hunger is a result of sin. There's one ache that we feel and one ache that Adam experienced that is a result of perfection, not imperfection, and that is the ache for community. If you're aching for community, it's because you're not a tree or a machine. If you're aching for community, it's not because you're weak. Come on, in the Christian community, if you're aching for community, if you need friendship and need people, somehow it's been totally perverted to where we go, that means you're weak. That means somehow you lack. No! If you long for community, long for relationship, long for connection, it means that you're strong. It means that you're the way God wants you to be. And that right there is a paradigm shift for many of us because the thing for some of us that we need to get over and be involved in the community is this lie that says, if I actually tell people how I need them, that means I'm weak. You're not being weak. You're being strong. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm preaching to myself this morning. This, by the way, is so dangerous. Listen, please, can you guys listen? So dangerous when we flippantly say to somebody things like, all you need is God. When you go to somebody who's struggling with depression and you say, all you need is God, that's not what God thinks. When you go to somebody who's lost an entire family, there are people in our church who've lost parents the tragic accidents, and you say to them, all you need is God. God doesn't think that. 
God doesn't think that. Adam is created for community. We are created for community. You guys, we say flippant theological things like, God gives life, but you realize that people also give life. When was the last time somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody was someone to you that you walked away going, that gave me life. I needed that. And then, of course, things go terribly wrong. Verse Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the mailman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The Jewish teachers had something called the principle of first mention. And that is whenever a word appeared, Whenever a word appeared in scripture, they were trained and taught to ask, where did that word appear first? Where did that word appear earlier? And the word naked appears earlier in Genesis 2 verse 25, where it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You guys, this is so powerful for me. The man and the wife being naked and feeling no shame is more than just a physical reality. Check this out. The man and his wife being naked and feeling no shame as a result of living under the rule and reign of God, is more than physical reality. It's this. They lived in kind of community where they were totally vulnerable, totally honest, totally authentic, totally real to each other. They were living in a relationship where there's no fronting, there's no wearing of masks, there's no saying to somebody, I'm fine when you're dying inside. Oh, things are going okay when things are falling apart inside. The kind of community these people were experiencing before sin and before fall is the kind of community where there is absolutely all real authenticity, real honesty, real vulnerability, real, real, real community. Can you imagine what this community would be like if we just tore down our masks, we stopped fronting with each other, See, some of, can I just pick on some of you guys? Some of you guys have a group of six, seven people that you hang out with, and yet that's not community. You're just hanging together. And you're all kind of looking at each other going, I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. I know there's issues here. I know there's issues there. But ain't nobody going to say something, so we're all just going to pretend. I got a challenge for community groups for this week. Practical, you know. If you've been in a community group where you've been sat there for week in, week out, month after month, and you've just been sitting there going, I'm tired of the superficial trite, we're okay. You know, things are a little bit, I'm tired of it. I'm going to let you all know how I really am doing, okay? And see what happens. Some of you are just smiling at me going, uh-uh. What happens when they decide to live another way than the way that God designates for them? The Bible says in Genesis 3, 6 that they became aware of their nakedness. You guys, this is a powerful theological thing that you need to notice. Notice that the first thing that happens as a result of them, the first thing that happens as a result of sin entering the world is not murder. It's not injustice of some gross kind. The first thing that happens as a result of sin entering the world is that they stop relating the way they used to. 
The first thing that happens is the relationship gets fractured. The first thing that happens is the real sin area in the world is they, they start pretending. They start wearing masks. They start fronting. They start saying to people, I'm okay, when I'm really not. They start experiencing shame, which is this. I'm not going to tell you how I'm really doing because if I told you, you might judge me and you might not like me and you might say all kinds of things about me, so I'm not going to. The first thing that happens is the sin in the world is people sort of kind of do the whole, you know, you're okay, we're okay. We're not going to ask how we're really doing because do we really want to go there? After all, that can get pretty messy. The first thing that happens is that in the world is community relationship gets fractured. And so a bunch of people get together and they just pretend as if things are okay. Are you okay? Am I okay? Are we okay? By the way, if you're a visitor to our church, it's not like our whole church is just jacked up. You know, this isn't like a big therapy session. Oh, somebody's nodding there. This is not like a big therapy session. I just want you to know, okay? I just, I, I don't want to scare you away. We're, 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 we're trying to get to the point of being real. Amen? You know? And this is a, yeah. First thing that happens. So if you're sitting there going, man, this community sucker is hard. <laughs> Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Why is it that I get into so many conflicts with people? Why is it so... There's all this time. Why is it that I have just this tremendously difficult time just being vulnerable, authentic, honest, and loving somebody? Shame. By the way, Asians in here? Come on. Genesis 1-2 is like our our history. You know? For those of you non-Asian folks, you you know, understand something. Asians connect more readily with the concept of shame, which is corporate, versus guilt, which is more individual. In other words, Western folks normally go, I did something wrong, so I'm bad, and I need to deal with that. Shame says you do something wrong, your family thinks you're bad. And so this enormous corporate sense of shame. Let me put it this way. Fig leaf armor. (laughs) Fig leaf armor. You have it. I have it. You know it. I know it. Fig leaf armor that says, can't really let you know how I'm really doing because if I did, you're going to judge me. I don't, I don't want to be judged. Here's the great news. The great news, you guys, is that Jesus Christ doesn't just come to save us from our sins so we can go to heaven. And if you believe this, I want a reverberating amen to shake this building. Jesus Christ doesn't just save us to save us from our sins so we can go to heaven. Jesus Christ, check this out, Ephesians 2 says he came so that he could restore and renew humanity so that we could be fully human. And that means that there is a way open for us to relate to each other in community. That this thing that we think is, come on, is that even possible for us? Jesus says, 
That's why he says, you know nothing but fear, condemnation, lack of trust. Jesus Christ says, I've come to restore your relationships so that you can trust, so that you can unconditionally love and accept. Jesus Christ says, you know nothing but vulnerability and fear that if you exposed yourself, that you might get crushed or judged. Jesus says, I've come so that I could heal relationships in such a way that you could genuinely accept one another. Um, how many of y'all like seriously want to be in deep authentic community you know here's the thing here's the thing you guys are you willing to go there silence are you willing to go there yeah one person okay Okay, good, good, okay. So, so, okay, application, you ready? You ready? Okay, here we go, here we go. I'm going to just put some up here. Here's some of the practical steps that I want us to be able to take and realize. Number one, say this with me, okay? Say this with me, ready? Community, spiritual friendship isn't created, it's discovered, okay? Now, I'm going to distinguish community and spiritual friendship because I think a lot of times what we're longing for is community, but on top of that, spiritual friendship with one or two people. Now, here's the reason why this is important, okay? Here's the reason why this is important. Let me go ahead and actually read a quote so that I can get to this. Because there's a couple implications here for uh, 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 us. And, and if you're a Christian here, there is, a, there is an implication here that's just enormous for us. And I want to actually spend a moment talking about those of you that might not even consider yourself a Christian. And you're going, does this even relate to me? It's a human problem, not a Christian problem. It's a human problem, okay? This longing for connection community. It's not, can you agree to that? It's not, it's not a Muslim problem. It's not a Christian. It's a humanity, the way we were created problem. Here's what Henry Nouwen says. Anybody a fan of Henry Nouwen? Henry Nouwen is, in this context in his book, talking about compassion and what propels us to compassion, to care for the least of these. Listen to what he says. He says, compassion is the recognition that everyone else is just like me. Compassion manifests itself in solidarity, the deep consciousness of being part of humanity, the existential awareness of the oneness of the human race, the intimate knowledge that all people, however separated by time and space, are bound together by the same human condition. It's not an abstract principle, but in human interaction that we find the connections of compassion and solidarity that make for practical community. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying the thing that's going to prompt us and propel us to care for the poor, to care for the marginalized, is the recognition that at the end of the day, we're all part of humanity. Who said preach? You know, and for those of you that are like, that sounds like some mumbo jumbo, you know, so social, like existential kind of, no, it's biblical. God says that we have been created in the image of God and the thing that's going to cause you to care for the poor, care for the marginalized and the broken is not some religious Christian, you know, I got to do some good moral good so that I can be approved in God's eyes. It's the recognition that at the end of the day, there is no difference between them and you. As Martin Luther King Jr. said in his Birmingham letter to, uh, letter to in, in, you guys know what I mean, that letter. <laughs> yes. As he says in that letter, we are bound, we are bound together. 
inextricably. We are bound to... Illustration for those who go on, I still don't understand what you mean. There's a group in our church that meets after church at Burger King. I don't know if they're still meeting. I know they were meeting for a while. They called it the BK group because they were meeting at Burger King right after church. It was half of the folks were homeless men and women who come to our warming center, and the other half were folks in our church who volunteered at the warming center or just became friends. They were meeting at Burger King after church every Sunday. Now, here, check this out. So I talked to some of the guys that go, homeless guys, and some of the people that participate. And you know what I heard? I heard things like this. You know, at first I was scared to death. Why? Because I thought, if I sit down with them, what if I have nothing to say? What if I realize, like, there's absolutely nothing in common? But Pastor Peter, I realized that fellowship and sharing a meal, and as we got to know each other, at the end of the day, we all share the same thing. They actually want their lives in the limited time that they have on earth to count. They all have this innate sense of purpose and permission and want their lives to matter. They all have this innate sense of, you know what? I want to make sure that whatever it is that I do on earth will not just be about me, but about other people. Do you know what the word community comes from? Do you know that it comes from the word common? Shared by all. Community isn't created. Those people at Burger King didn't all of a sudden go, let's create community. Let's get. Community came as they realized, you know what? I'm discovering that. We actually have a lot in common. If you're not a Christian here this morning and this resonates with you at all, I want you to know that it's because God put it in your DNA. That you long to create, but to discover community. If you're a Christian here this morning, can I speak to you for a second? I'm going to get very practical. If you're a Christian here this morning, Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Common. And for those of you who follow Jesus, there's a powerful solidarity that goes beyond the solidarity that comes as a result of us recognizing that we're all human beings created in the image of God. It's the solidarity that comes as a result of recognizing that what we share in common is Jesus. Has this happened to anybody? Can you relate to anybody? Uh, I have a great friend of mine. His name is Kiyama. Kiyama Mangubi. He lives in Nairobi. Does anybody know Kiyama? Because you got lots of friends. Yes! <laughs> but you don't count, David. You're from Kenya. <laughs> you're, you're like, you know him. Kiyama. I've met Kiyama three times in my entire life. The first time I met Kiyama was like four years ago. Some of you guys might remember, he came and led worship, right? He's a pastor in Kenya, church planting. I kid you not. The first time I met him was I walked into this little Swedish restaurant called Trey Kroner from the North Park because a friend who was sort of introducing us, right? And we basically met to talk about him coming to lead worship at our church. How many can relate to this story? So I walk in, I sit down, right? Kiyama's sitting across from the table, and I sit down, and immediately he's got a big old smile on his face, and I got a big old smile on my face. <laughs> oh, look at you. you guys. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? You've never met this person? He's from another, he's from the cross the world. And yet, we say to each other, he's got a big old smile on his face, I got a big old smile on his face. And the first words to come out of his mouth was, hello, brother Peter. I say, how are you? It's nice to meet you, Kiyama. 
from the moment that we laid out it, I'm sorry, this sounds like, where's my wife? I gotta, I gotta like seriously apologize. Jenny, I, okay, she's not here. Okay, good, good. I can tell you guys. From the moment, I'm saying, you guys, from the moment, we just kind of, we just, from the moment, what's that? I help him a little, thank you. From the moment we just kind of locked eyes and just kind of look, from the moment, I'm telling you, it's almost like there was this force beyond us greater than us that exerted itself because you know what we shared in common? We shared in common a passionate love for Jesus. And here's this guy that I've never met before in my entire life. And we sit down and automatically there is a sense of, "Uh uh-huh, you know who I'm talking about. And he'll send me emails once in a while saying, I'm just thinking of you. Why is that so critical for us followers of Jesus? Friendship doesn't happen because at the end of the day, all you want is friendship. Friendship doesn't happen because two people are looking at each other going, I want you to be my friend. No, I want you to be my friend. Can we be friends? Friendship happens when two people are not looking at each other, but as C.S. Lewis says, they're looking at something else. I love C.S. Lewis because he has a way. Y'all know. Listen to what he says. He says, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. <laughs> Listen. The very condition for having friends is that we should want something besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And you say, I don't care about that. I just want you to be my friend. That no real friendship can possibly arise. There would be nothing that the friendship would be about. Those that want nothing share nothing. And what C.S. Lewis is saying this, what creates a deep sense of spiritual friendship that lasts, that is persevering, is not two people who are saying, what I want from you is approval, what I want from you is friendship, but two people who have come to a place where they're looking at something else together and saying, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Friendship happens when two people are kneeling at the same thing and saying, isn't that beautiful? Does that make sense? So let me just be very, so for those of you that are going, I don't know how to make friends. You know, I actually got emails this week and saying, you talked about, how do I make friends? And I sat there going, how do I help you? <laughs> and then God gave me C.S. Lewis. Because instead of giving you some trite things like, we'll spend time together, find somebody, blah, blah, blah. C.S. Lewis says this, you want to find friends? Because here's the thing. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Find somebody who's absolutely passionate in love with Jesus, passionate in love with the mission of God. And there's a joy. There's a stability. There's a peace. There is an attraction. There's a beauty about them. And people are drawn to them. You want friends? You want people to be spiritual friends? Check this out. Make your friendship with God more important than making friends and friends will be drawn to you. Make it a priority to get in with God more important than trying to get in with people and people will want to get in with you. Does that make sense? Oh, what would happen if this church was full of people? who are not kneeling at the altar of self, idolatry, money, success, social mobility, but people are kneeling at the altar and seeing the beauty of Jesus and saying, do you see that? I see that. We see that together. Oh, no. Do you see that? Do you, do you see? Do you? Do you see? Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? 
Does that make sense? Spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. You want those deep friendships? Don't go for some trite, superficial, you know, sense of humor. Do we share common movies? Even race, ethnicity, and culture. Deep friendships happen when two people, I'm repeating myself, but I'm going to say it once more. When two people are staring at the same thing going, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Oh, yeah. Spiritual friendship community isn't created. It's discovered. Okay, but, but, here's the flip side of that. And I don't mean to be like ironic for the sake of irony, but community spiritual friendship isn't discovered. It's created. Okay? <laughs> I know for those of you that suddenly go, so it just kind of happens like that. No, you know, and I know, it doesn't just happen like that. It happens as a result of something. Now watch. Let me put up a verse We've, we've covered this verse before. First Peter 2, 4. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amongst a number of metaphors in the Bible about the church and the community of believers, this is one of my favorites because here's what this metaphor portrays. It says that Jesus is our chief cornerstone of a building. And in him, in him, all the other stones are being built together. The temple, the spiritual house that Peter is talking about there is a temple of, the, of, of God. In the Old Testament, it's a temple of God. And Peter has the audacity to say, in the Old Testament, God's presence, the Shekinah glory of God, dwelt in the temple of God. And it was an amazing thing. In the New Testament, God no longer dwells in a physical building called the temple, but God's presence and his glory dwells. In this building called the church, the people of God, God manifests his presence in this thing called the church, the people of God. And check this out. Here's what he says happens. It is when these brick stones come together and interdependent, interlocking relationships one another around the cornerstone. C.S. Lewis, around the same thing, around the cornerstone, is to that extent that the Spirit of God comes and dwells. Let me just practically it out this way. Here's what the Bible says about community in church. It's asking the question, are you so built into the lives of other people? Are you so interdependently related to other people in this church, in groups of people, that if that one stone, you were to shake, the whole building would shake? Are you so interdependent and built into interlocking relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ that just as in a wall, when a stone is right there, there's stones above it, there's stones beneath it, there's stones beside it, and if that one stone shakes, the four stones that are connected to it begins to shake. And the question that it's asking is, are you so built into the lives of people like that, that were you to shake, other people will shake, and when they shake, you shake? Are you so connected to other people that were you to stop showing up that the whole building would fall apart? So anyways, you make sense? And check this out. The Bible says it is to the extent that we become that interdependent, interconnected building. That is when the Spirit of God comes. That is when that group of people begin to experience the Spirit of God and the presence of God. Now, that then means that what we do here on Sunday mornings, this thing right here is put into a whole new perspective. Why? The Bible says that the way that we do Christian life throughout the New Testament is by one anothering each other. One anothering. There are close to 40 verses in the New Testament that talk about one another, one another. Here's some samples. Love one another, which has like 12 verses. Be at peace with one another, 
Outdo one another, live, outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Don't pass judgment on one another, Romans 14. Welcome one another, Romans 15. Care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12. Agree with one another, 2 Corinthians 13. Serve one another, forbear one another, forgive one another. Be kind to one another, be subject to one another. Comfort one another, encourage one another, do good to one and, and on and on and on. on. You see the list up there. Let me ask you guys this. How many of those can you do on a Sunday morning between the time of 9 and 10.30? How many have you done in the last hour and 15 minutes? This is not what the Bible means by community. It freaks me out when people go, oh yeah, I go to a new community. And what you're saying is you're coming to an event. You're coming to a Sunday event. And you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with Sunday events. Some people said, we should get rid of our Sunday worship services and just go. No! Read the New Testament. Book of Acts, they gathered in temple courts. 3,000 people gathering together in public worship. There's nothing wrong with this. But the problem becomes when you ask yourself, how many of those that is about community, that is about Christian life, that is at the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how many of those can you do on a Sunday morning? How many of you have you done in the last hour and 15 minutes? This isn't to make you feel all guilty. This is to ask you a very realistic cold shower question. That is, can you do community at church on Sundays? And the answer is, and the answer is, no, no. You and I cannot exist in interdependent, interconnected community by coming on a Sunday morning, hearing a sermon, learning a few things, and going home. Community happens when I begin to hear that there's a group of 10 people who are gathering together weekly, breaking bread, doing community together, praying, laughing, crying, sharing together, so interconnected, serving one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, comforting one another, doing all those things in such a way that were you to stop showing up, the entire group would know what to do because you are so connected to them and they are so connected to you. Do you recognize how much you need this? Somebody talk to me. Somebody talk to me. What are you feeling right now? Don't make me feel awkward because I'm going to keep doing this until somebody says something. What are you feeling right now? Come on, blurt it out. What are you feeling right now? (laughs) That's the most honest thing somebody said this morning. What are you feeling right now? Inadequate. Anna, you said what? It's overwhelming to look at that and go, I can't do that. Or do all that. What else? What are you feeling? Scared? Vulnerable? Are you a seminary student? Yeah. <laughs> you know he's thought about this. You have to cut out a lot of things to be able to do that. Yes. What else are you feeling? If I did that, my friendships would 
Do you know? Okay. I'm getting old. And that wasn't just a random comment. There's, there's something else. I'm getting old. I'm almost 40 years old. I'm 30. I'm going 40. It's really hard for me to make friends. And you said they're going, that's nothing to do with your age. It's you, right? No, let me explain what I mean. Let me explain what I mean, community. I'm at this stage in life where I'm married. I have two children. And I just don't have a lot of time. So it's really effortful for me to make friendships. For some of you, you know why it's hard? Because in the last four or five years you've been in Chicago, you've said goodbye to so many people. And you're going, I'm tired of saying goodbye to people. I'm tired of putting myself out there again. For some of you, it's because you've been hurt. You trusted him, you trusted her, and they just jacked you up. For some of us, flat out what Andrew said, it's because of our lifestyle and inability to live the biblical Christian life without changing any of our other lives. But you recognize how desperately you need. Let me me give you this analogy. None of us walks around saying, I need air, or I love air. Air, I appreciate air. (laughs) Air, air is good. Air is good for my brain. Air is good for my heart. Air, yes, air is a good thing. You know when you and I really start to appreciate air? When we're underwater. When you're underwater, all of a sudden, ah, air, yes, air is a good thing. I need me some air. Do you know when you start recognizing how valuable friendships are? It's when you are emotionally under. Do you know when friendships become really important to you? Not when you're doing well, but when you're emotionally and mentally underwater. And you're going, where are my friends? I need my friends. But by then, it's too Some of you are sitting here right now, and you like that person going, air, 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 sure, air. And you're going through something right now. You're going, air, I need air, I need air. And you're going, where are my friends and community? And you look at your life, and you're going, they're never built in. You don't wait until you're emotionally under to need friends and community. You do that now so that when you need them, they're there. most of us, our issues and our dysfunction is a result of community, our families, our friends, our boyfriend, girlfriends. And because of the hurt that we've received, we're at our point of saying, I don't need anybody. I don't need people. You guys, here's what the Bible says. If community, whether it be family relationships, what messed you up, it's community, your church family, and your friends that will heal you. You know, as I was preparing this this week, last night, I just started weeping in my office. I felt like such an idiot. I just weeping, and I came to this part because I have a younger brother. I have a younger brother. His name is Tim. And uh, he's three years younger than me, and uh, he's one of those unfortunate, you know, byproduct, if you will, of a not-so-perfect Asian family where they favor the oldest son. 
They will be me. And uh, didn't. And my brother's out in California. He's been out there for about seven years. And he's been out there for seven years. It's a really hard time. Uh, trusting people. Really hard time. Being, being community. And it breaks, it breaks my heart because I, I see him and, and I know that community is what he needs to be healed. I know that what he needs is a spiritual family that will heal what his own family did to him. Because every week I have somebody coming into my office and just telling me some of the most horrendous things. And at some point I will ask them, who else have you told this to? And do you know what they say? So many times, nobody. There are people in this church who are broken, who are messed up because of community. Whether it be a church or family, and they need a family of people who will heal them. A family of people who will be the source of healing in their lives. The question for us can no longer be, will somebody take care of me? Will somebody heal me? The question... Could it be that you and I say, who can I heal? Who can I restore? Who can I embrace? Not who is doing those one another's for me, but who can I do that for? Will you guys give me like five more minutes to finish? Is that all right? Okay. It would have helped if somebody said, go ahead and take your time. But since nobody said that, I'll go ahead and finish in five minutes. Because um, I do have to. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Oh, man. Wait, this is a real handkerchief. Oh. Again, if you're new to this church, the pastor normally doesn't just do this up front. Uh, sorry to kind of air my family business out there, but I'm wondering if anybody else has somebody like that in their family, a sibling that, yeah. Okay, I got to go on because if I do all that, I'm just going to be a mess all morning. Um, do you know that the word fellowship, koinonia, one of the basic essence of what it means is to share. And for this to happen for those of you that said, Peter, practical this week, please. Here are some of the things that we need to share. And by the way, listen, very key. Some of the stuff that I'm talking about in terms of friendship and spiritual friendship might not come in the group of 10 or 12 people that are part of your community group. That's important, essential. But what that community group might do is that community group, as you're doing life, might provide the context for you to connect with one or two people. They will be your spiritual friends. Does that make sense? Um, 
Here's what the Bible encourages us to share. Uh, one is possessions as we do this community. We're going to talk about this a lot more in Acts chapter 4, but I do want to share this with you. There was a, a single mom in our church who needed a bed and a desk and some groceries. She didn't want to tell anybody in our church. Why? Fig leaf armor. I don't want to let you know. I don't want a handout. Well, I found out, and if I know something, then somebody else is going to hear about it. And so I encouraged, I encouraged a handful of folks, and one person just said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Bought a bed, bought a desk, bought some groceries, and just dropped it off. In our community groups, if nobody is willing to say, I have a need, y'all need to know that nobody in your group will feel comfortable or vulnerable sharing their need who will be the first. Secondly, you need to share, uh, guys, guys, I need to, you need to share motions. You know what? I, one of the things I, I love about Jesus, Jesus was perfection, right? He was, he was the perfect man in every way. And yet Jesus was absolutely not only vulnerable, but open with his emotions. He wept openly in front of his disciples and friends. We need to share accountability. We need to speak and be the gospel to someone and someone to be and speak the gospel to us. I'm asking you this question again as I did last week. Do you have somebody in your life that you've given permission to ask you questions, hard questions about your sexuality, about money, about your prayer life and everything else? If you're sitting there today and saying there's not a single individual, single soul in my life that I've given that kind of a permission to, then you can never be in community. Your fig leaf armor of not wanting to let people know who you are will always be there. We also need to share decisions. I scared some people last week when I said, you don't get to decide who you sleep with. I'm serious. Go, go to the Bible and find out what the Bible says about being the body of Christ. It means that the decisions that we make, we don't do it in a vacuum. There's no such thing as unilateral decision-making in the body of Christ. And by the way, it's always a problem sign when if you're dating somebody and you don't want to let people know, Do you know what I'm saying? Do you ever think about that? Because you go, well, what you got to hide? What you got to hide? Most of the times when we don't want to let people know is because some of us deep down inside, we go, I shouldn't be doing this. We also have to share time. Share time if you're taking notes. Every other kind of relationship will be pushed on you. Think about it. Every other kind of relationship, romantic love, your hormones will push you. Family love, duty, obligation will push you. Citizenship, I don't want to go to jury duty. I have to take time to do it. It's forced on me. This is the reason why friendship is so hard, spiritual friendship. You know why? Because there are none of these external factors that are pushing themselves on you. Not biology, not sociology, not anything else. That means that you have to realize this biblical truth of what community means and make an effort and intentionality to make time. And lastly, place. We need to share place. What do I mean? Not just living together, but being in the same place, city, neighborhood together. I had one person ask me last week, what do you say, Peter, to those of us that have been called out to the mission field and called out to go elsewhere to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you like guilt tripping us to say, unless we live in Chicago, we're not fulfilling the mission of God? I want you to know right now, if you have been called to go overseas, you've been called to go to another city because God compels you when you go, we're going to kiss you, we're going to hug you, we're going to bless you and say, go and be the kingdom to wherever you go. However, if you are somebody who's just kind of waffling, going, ah, 
the city of Chicago or Seattle or Miami, just want to try something new, I just want to tell you, there's something to be said about a group of people who are saying we are committed to the same neighborhood and same city. And we're going to do this together long term. David Kiraga, will you come on up? I want to finish with this. Because I don't want to leave you guys going. So, you've said a great thing, and a large number of things, and practical, and boy, we just got to go and share time, share place, da, da, da. You and I both know that this is impossible without the power of the, say with me, gospel. This is impossible without the power of the, say with me, the gospel. Guys, let me picture an analogy for you on why relationships are jacked up and why we need the gospel. The fall in the garden has created this condition in you and in me where we feel nakedness and shame. And what that means is that for the rest of our lives, we are constantly searching for a sense of significance, sense of acceptance, sense of worth. You know what I thought about this week? Our lives, it's like one long survival episode where we're sitting in front of a jury of our peers and we're trying to convince them why we shouldn't be the one thrown off the island. And one of the things that that does when we try and convince other people when it comes to relationships and friendships is that we no longer relate to people because we love them. We relate to people to use them. For some of us, this is how we use relationships and use people. We kind of puff ourselves up into this false sense of security like I'm better than you. I'm smarter. I'm better looking. I have a better job. And so that makes us feel significant. That gives us a sense of worth. And that's how we try and convince people, don't throw me off the island. After all, I'm the best around here. Well, it's impossible for someone like you to be in community because nobody wants to be around you. Here's how we also use people. If you're somebody who used to love somebody when they were really weak and frail, you know, because they depended on you, all of a sudden they start becoming strong and they longer start needing you and you're going, I don't like you anymore. You never loved them for them. You loved them because they needed you. They needed you. Or if you're somebody who was friends with somebody in community because you loved the approval and affirmation you were getting about who they said you were, and all of a sudden that affirmation, that approval is gone, and you start thinking, you know, that person is a real drag. You never loved them to begin with. You loved yourself loving them. And I can go on and on and on, but as long as we look at friendships and relationships as a means to an end to convince people that we are significant and we are a person of worth, there will never be community. This is why we need the gospel to come to us every day. And we see a Savior on a cross who unconditionally gives himself, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. And if that Savior is real to you, that Savior is alive in you, and you no longer relate to people because you need them, but you relate to people because you love them. And because of the gospel truth that says, even though we are more wicked and more sinful than we dare believe, we are more loved and more accepted than we dared hope at the same time. And that truth is washing over us so that it kills a sense of superiority because we realize I was so sinful, he had to die for me. And it gives us deep emotional humility. And we no longer look at people and say, well, let me see how I can be better than you. But we look at people as people who can genuinely serve in humility. And the gospel also tells us that we are more loved and more accepted than we dared hope. 
And you and I no longer look at people to be a source of significance, sense of worth. We no longer look at people in relationships to give me meaning, to make me feel like somebody. Because Christ says, you already have that in me. You already have that in me. Don't go seeking for it elsewhere. And you can love people for who they are, not what they do. You can love people for what they give you, but simply for them. And you can stay with people that are a drag to you because it was never about what they did for you anyway. It was about them. And you stay with them through thick and thin, empowered by the Spirit. And for any of us that's saying, but I'm terrified of a messy, just break reconciliation. What could be more godlike than a group of people who are in community and when somebody messes up, you don't walk away, you forgive? What could be more godlike in imaging the glory of God in the triune community than a group of people who offend each other, but when they do, they don't just walk away and say, I'm done with you, but they reconcile. What could, what could be more powerful and image the glory of God than a group of people who aren't afraid to be vulnerable, and even when they're vulnerable and they get hurt, they don't walk away and say, it's finished, I don't know what I want to do with you, but they continue at it, empowered by the Spirit of God, because God pursued us to the cross. What could be more God-like than a group of people who are saying, this is so important and so serious that I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to stop pursuing you. I'm going to continue at it, Thaddeus. I'm not going anywhere. Would that maybe say to the world, take notice, this is what humanity was created to be. This morning as we finish... um, I know this is kind of a, a maybe a, a deeply personal thing, but I need to ask. Um, I'm going to invite those of you guys, and listen, that are saying, um, I'm done with superficial, trite play acting. I want real community. I want real spiritual friendship that has meaning and significance. And I ask you to stand with me this morning. Please don't stand if you don't mean it. Just sit in your seats. Choir, you guys could come on up. The journey is long and the road is going to be filled with challenges. But to you, men and women of God, who stand here this morning, saying, not just with your words, but with your life, God, I am willing to go on this journey. God, I'm willing to go on this pursuit with you. I have a very simple prayer request for you this morning, and it's not about you, actually. I'm going to ask you to actually pray for yourself, but this way. Say, God, help me to serve somebody. Help me to encourage somebody. Help me to love somebody. Help me to exhort somebody. Help me to be the one that would confess my sins to somebody. Help me to be a peacemaker to somebody. Pray that you would be that instrument, that you would be that vessel that would be that somebody who would want another 
to somebody else. And give you a moment to pray. Give you a moment to pray. Can we just thank God for the gift of the spiritual family that God has, whether we realize it or not, surrounded us with? Can we just thank God for that? I mean, clap. You can clap and just thank God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this work. Thank you, Jesus, for this family. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for those people that need prayer this morning. Michael will be up here. I'll be up here. If you need prayer, will you come on out? We want to pray for you before you leave this morning. And God, as we leave this place, what we have learned in truth, we can only do empowered by your spirit. So God, Holy Spirit, May these choose not just be something that we hear one year and go out the other, but I pray that they would be deeply rooted in our hearts. Water it, God. Attend to it, God. Nurture it, God. You have already done the hard work. Allow us and enable us by the power of your spirit to discover this incredible gift of community. May we be a radically different countercultural city in the city of Chicago. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of your glory, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. I want to encourage those of you that want prayer, come on up, please. Pray for us and pray with us. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday.